All right, so pull out your notes. I hope you can follow along. They're in the program you received. Grab a pen, something to write with. If you're just joining us, we're in the third installment of a three-part, or a six-part series in the book of Daniel. And um, I didn't know when I was studying for this and preparing for this book where we would be in the world right now and the events that are happening and the craziness that's happening in the Middle East. It seems to me just so providentially timely that we are studying this book of the Bible right now. Because uh, the Bible is not just a book of the past. It's a book of history, but it's a book of prophecy. And it talks about uh, the future as much as it talks about the past. And that's what makes it so exciting to study is because so much of what the Bible said was going to happen has already taken place. And when we look at some of the scriptures, especially in Daniel, where the first six chapters are history, what God did in Daniel's life and in the lives of his friends as they were taken over by an invading culture. But then the second uh, grouping of, of books, the last six books, are this vision that he had about the future. And the Bible's not arranged chronologically. It's a book of books. It's, it's arranged by sections. So you have your, you know, your law and your history and your poetry and the prophets together. But Daniel is the last prophetic book of the Old Testament. And his vision of the future is just such a parallel to what God gave to John in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the New Testament. And so we're going to be just catching you up real quick. And then I want to dive into this and read, uh, catch you up in the fourth chapter of the book. But the book begins where God allows Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, okay, modern-day Iraq, to take over Jerusalem. And the conflict that's going on over there has its roots all the way back these thousands of years. And, you know, it just hasn't stopped. There has been war in that part of the world for millennia. And God allows Nebuchadnezzar to take over Jerusalem because for 200 years he's been sending prophets. He's been sending warnings to his people. If you'll just come under my hand again, if you'll just live for me, instead of uh, going your own way, instead of rebelling, instead of bowing down to all these idols, if you'd just come back to me, I would fight all of your battles. I'll bless you. And for so many years, God did. He blessed that nation of Israel, but slowly they began to drift away. And God sent these messengers to call them back, and they refused to listen. So 606, 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes, takes over Jerusalem, destroys it, and brings back 10,000 captives to Babylon, the best and the brightest. And he takes, uh, in, that, in that grouping, there's a, four young men, Daniel and his three friends, and he brings these guys back and puts them in his cultural immersion program to totally reform who they are. I mean, Hebrew on the outside but in every possible way, we're going to take you over mentally, mind control, crush you, break you down, break down your sexual identity, break down your mental identity, make you look outwardly Hebrew, but inside we're going to make you totally Babylonian. And they wanted to take them over and conform them, which is exactly what's happening in our culture today. Our culture is changing so fast it would make your head spin. I was driving in the car this week, heard a DJ on the radio say, I'm not promiscuous, I'm just thorough. I mean, that's the new thinking. I'm just, what? I was just listening to music. Where did that come from? And so, every, so everything's being relabeled, everything's being rethought, and a culture is trying to completely take us over. And the greatest test in this culture, just like in Daniel's day, will be 
who will you bow to? And what will you allow to change you? I mean, will you set the culture or will you reflect the culture? Will you change the world with your life or will you let the world change you? Okay, so that catches us up right to now the fourth chapter of this book. And in the fourth chapter, uh, you find Daniel who has now served under King Nebuchadnezzar for 30 years. He came to King Nebuchadnezzar's attention by interpreting a dream of the future. Daniel saw the days we were living in, and he saw future. And King Nebuchadnezzar didn't believe in his God, but he said, this guy has access to some kind of power that lets him see the future, so I'm going to bring him close. And he elevates Daniel to a place of great influence and leadership. Doesn't believe in his God, but he brings him close, and Daniel serves him for 30 years. By the end of that time, Babylon is established as an empire. Its borders are secure. It has, the massive building program in Babylon has been completed, and Babylon is now one of the seven great wonders of the world. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon are famous in history, and King Nebuchadnezzar is one of the most prideful, arrogant, brutal people ever to be on the face of the earth. A dictator. You do it my way or you disappear, and Daniel is serving him for 30 years. I mean, how did he do it? Imagine having a boss that bad for 30 years, and yet he never compromised. They could never find anything wrong with him, and Daniel was so exemplary in all that he did that King Nebuchadnezzar kept turning to him for wisdom. He has in this passage a second dream and God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, this is the story of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, humbling. And at the end of his life, before he dies, Nebuchadnezzar actually turns fully to the Lord, but not until he is completely humbled by God. And so chapter 4 is the story of Nebuchadnezzar dictating through Daniel the things that God did to humble him. It begins with a dream. Let me tell you the story. Nebuchadnezzar has this second dream, and it's a picture of the most beautiful tree. It spreads out over his whole empire. It's just the most magnificent picture, the greatest nature movie you've ever seen, and it's just beautiful, gorgeous. And the trees are loaded with fruit, and there's shade, and the animals are living underneath, and the birds are living in the branches, and it's just amazing. And in this beautiful scene that I'm sure he's looking at and just enjoying this vision, in comes some kind of an apocalyptic, you know, sci-fi chainsaw and cuts the tree down. It's terrifying. I mean, it's, it's, isn't that the worst kind of terror when you're watching something beautiful and all of a sudden just mayhem and it's destroyed? And it bothers him and he doesn't know what it means. He calls everybody to explain it to him. They can't. He turns to Daniel once again. And when Daniel is told his dream, the scripture says, you can read this for yourself in chapter 4, he is per greatly perplexed. He doesn't know what to do because he says to himself, I can't, how am I going to tell Nebuchadnezzar what this means? This does not turn out good for him. And do I have the courage to tell him something that he will not want to hear? But you know what's so great about Daniel? Even though he's afraid... Daniel went ahead and spoke exactly what God told him to say. Regardless of the consequences, this is a scary thing to tell you something that you'll probably kill me for. But like every great man of God, Daniel says what God tells him to say. I want to read to you 
the interpretation of the dream. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to make application to you. I think what he says is talking about right now. And I want you to pray, God, you speak to me. I want to say it as plainly as Daniel said it. And I want you to hear what God might be saying to all of you. Look at this on your screen. King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says, my Lord, if the dream only would apply to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. I mean, he's got such tact, right? He's already putting this in a very tactful way to the king. If this only would apply to your enemies. Now listen. The tree that you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, having nesting places in its branches for the birds, your majesty, you are that tree. You've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown till it reaches the sky. And your dominion, your, your power, your influence has spread to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, an angel, coming down from heaven. This is the narration behind what he saw. Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave a stump. And let me just pause and say right here while that's still on the screen. God always leaves the ability for somebody to come back to him every time. The consequences of not following God and getting ourselves in trouble, we have to go through, but God always provides a way for people to come back when they've messed things up. We want to do things our way. You know, we all, some people will say, well, God's judging people. No, he's not. God wants to bless people, but people want to do things their own way and go out from underneath God's blessing, and they, they find themselves in the consequences of their decisions, and yet this right here says, I'm only going to let it go so far and for so long. That's just incredible, and I hope that speaks to somebody. Leave the stump in the ground, bound, it, bound with iron and bronze. Why? To prevent any further deterioration. It's only going to go so far. Leave it in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Why? So it won't die. It'll grow another day. The roots are still good. Let, them be, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven years have passed for him. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar going insane. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a vision of a downfall. There is a crash coming and if you don't turn from your pride, Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't, if you don't react to what God is saying, you're going to get cut down and you're going to go insane. Imagine having to deliver that message, which is what Daniel told him, that pride ultimately leads to insanity. Now, I looked up what insanity means. I wanted to be real clear in the definition. You know what it is? Let me read it for you. An unhealthy state of mind that prevents normal perception. Deranged thinking. Like, you think it's totally rational. It makes perfect sense to you, but it's actually totally crazy. It's a, it's a false perception. 
It's really, really hard to see because you can spot crazy in everybody else but yourself. It's true. You can spot people's pride. You can spot people. What were they thinking? It's just very hard to see crazy thinking in ourselves. And I got to tell you, if we're not living in some crazy times with some deranged thinking, and there's, you know what? Deranged thinking, you know what that ultimately produces? It produces turmoil in the soul. Like your brain doesn't think right. Eventually, there's all kinds of anxiety going on in the heart and in the emotions and in the soul. And that's the times we're living in right now. Insane, insane thinking and turmoil in the soul. Last week, I finished the message. If, in case you haven't seen it yet, go online and catch up. But those of you who remember, I was just... Went home after Sunday, turned on the news, and, you know, we're talking about the times that we're living, they are a-changing. Oklahoma City, I don't know why this isn't reported. It's not, I don't know why this is, isn't big news, but it actually happened. In Oklahoma City last Sunday, there was a black mass, a rally uh, for Satan, actually held on the state capitol building. Yeah. On, in, in the civic center of the capitol building. And it was a protest against Christianity. And it was happening in the Capitol. And let me quote some things from this. This is really amazing. Um, I quote, we, they, they, were, they were allowed to hold their satanic rally in the state, but they were, quote now, not allowed to have the sex, nudity, and the urine that usually goes along with their ritual. They did, however, stomp on the cross, spit on the communion host, and cast the Holy Spirit out of someone. Because the purpose, was, the purpose of the rally was the announcement of a statue of Satan that will soon be outside the state capitol in Oklahoma City in protest of the statue of the Ten Commandments that are already there. Now, by Friday of this week, yesterday, it's one of the most horrific crimes we've seen yet in our crazy nation. Someone gets beheaded in our country. Where did that happen? The very same city. And the world makes no connection between the two events at all. Insane thinking. Because what's crazy is, is that we're pro they're protesting the Ten Commandments, which I don't even, like, the, like one of them is, thou shalt not kill. But then by Friday, everybody's like, what in the world? And everybody's surprised and shocked at a country who, well, we don't want that in our, who has departed away from God, and now we're shocked when the culture acts in a violent, crazy way like there is no God. I just, it's insane thinking. And by the way, there's about nine other, other commandments, but you can't teach them without bringing God back, which we, we can't have God back because then we'd have to admit there's a God over America. So I'm just saying, folks, it's, it, it, we're living in like really like crazy thinking that produces turmoil. It's deranged thinking rooted in pride where people can't even perceive reality anymore. Like, for me, this is what feels right to me without any regard for what God might say or like, thou shalt not kill. When that seems offensive, we wonder why we're living in so much chaos today. Society is groaning around us right now. We try not to think of it too much. It's so depressing. But God wishes for our society to be at peace. That's what he really wants. And this passage is a prophetic warning to our generation right now, I believe. And I pray that by God's grace we could hear its warning. 
Now, I want you to see this little outline. Pastor Chris Hodges developed an outline for this particular passage. I think it's brilliant, and I want to pass it on to you on the dangers of pride and how it just leads to insanity. Okay? I find myself in all three of these warnings, and it's very convicting to me. Daniel chapter 4, we find the first one. Verse 4, when did this happen to Nebuchadnezzar? Look at this. Put it on the screen, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. We live in one of the greatest, most prosperous places in the whole world. God, God really has blessed America. Well, why would he bless America? You know why? So that we could be a blessing to the nations. That's why America was blessed. That's why God has blessed us. It's because of the fact that people in this country have been a blessing to the nations ever since its existence. We, we, we were blessed by God to be a blessing to others. But that's the only reason. God doesn't bless one group of people more than the other just because of who they are. God is no respecter of persons. So God doesn't think that one group of people are better than the other group of people in the world. God blesses the nation that understands there's a God in heaven who has blessed us to be a blessing. I'm, tech, I'm, I'm walking into some of your private space here. Is that okay? God doesn't bless us as Americans because we're Americans. See, see it's the pride of, see, see what happens is, is we become prosperous because of the blessing of God. And then after a while, it's no longer God bless America. It's just America. <laughs> it's like, it's like America. Well, why? Well, because America. You know, and we, we've left the God bless part off because why? Well, we're exceptional. Americans, America. Well, no. Special, blessed because, because God blessed us because we've been a blessing to the nations. That's why. And when we forget that, Okay. See, what's happened is, is this, this idea that there is a God and he's over us and he's blessing us so that we can be a blessing to others. When we forget that, you know what, it's almost like this. Like, well, yeah, we believe in God and God bless America. We'll, we'll call you when we need you. Like, like when there's trouble. We want that 911 call. But for the most part, we got this. We're good because America. Okay. But here's the warning. Can we be prosperous as a nation and stay very close to God. If we don't, the same thing that happened to Nebuchadnezzar will happen to us. If we walk around with all the things that God has blessed us with, all of the stuff, our resources, our wealth, our homes, our companies, um, the money, everything, and we start going, well, man, we got it going on. That's a that's, that's, an, that's a path that leads towards some insanity. Look, write the first one down. We're headed for insanity when we think we are self-sufficient instead of God-dependent. Number one, write that down. If, if we're not God-dependent, if we're just self-sufficient, we're on a path to crazy. And this study of Daniel, more than anything, has really convicted me this summer. As I started reading and studying his life, I mean, I was just asking the question, how did he do it? Because it's impossible what he did. I mean, how could he possibly stand up to the pressure? How could he be so differentiated against the culture that he just kept his convictions? Because I've never seen anything like it. And I said, God, what is it? What's the secret? And you know what the secret is? Daniel was a man of prayer. It says that three times every day he would bow to his God and he would say, God, help me. That's all the way through the book. 
He was a man who prayed about everything. He was so God-dependent, and he was just, God, you got to help me today for the next three hours till I get to noon. God, help me. I know what those kind of prayers are like. When Laurie and I first moved here to start this church, and we didn't know anybody, we didn't have any resources, and times were desperate. We had problems that we didn't know how to solve. I mean, I prayed a lot. You know, when you're desperate, you will pray a whole lot more than when everything's going good. And I was trying to figure out, well, God, how, how is this going to work, and where can we meet, and how do I, there's no, re I mean, I remember just even trying to get into this building, you know, and there's 30 people meeting in the Holiday Inn, and how are we going to, Lord, you've got to show us the way. And I looked back through my journals and realized, you know, did I ever pray desperate prayers for God to move? You know, um, we pray a whole lot less when life is good. Think of the atheism that is prayerlessness. I mean, I pray. I still pray. I'm your pastor. It's okay. I still pray. But I pray in the morning, and I do that. But I'm just talking about that kind of consistent, like, desperation. Like, God, I need you. Because it's so easy to slip into, well, God, I got this. I can make decisions and move and, and, and accomplish and do things because I know what I'm doing. And it's a scary place to be. I want to tell you a story when... Um, you know, because we're so experiencing the blessing of God now as a church. If you'll come out on that party we have next week and hang out with us for an evening where we just kind of celebrate together the amazing things God has done in the last year, it, it'll just blow your mind. God is blessing our church right now, okay? But Daniel's life has convicted me about how, 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 how easy it would be to drift away from dependence on God and just say to ourselves, Heartland Church. When we started the church, um, one of the needs that we had was we had no chairs, and we had no money. We'd spent all the money that we had on just fixing up little kids' classrooms. We knew the kids needed, needed their spaces checked right, but in the, in the adult room, in the old computer room, showroom over there, we just didn't have any, we had no chairs. And I didn't have any money, and I'm praying, God, you, there's a date on the calendar that we've advertised as the start of this church, and there's nowhere to sit. I guess we'll sit on the floor or we'll stand or something, but we had no chairs. I'm praying every day, and one day I got a phone call. Um, somebody wanted to donate, out of the blue, 200 chairs to Heartland Church. And I was like, yes, this is amazing. And I asked them to deliver them to the church that I used to work for in Pennsylvania. That's where the guy was. Take them to that church. And... Um, you know, and there was, a, uh, there was a, a man there who was a retired steel worker off the docks in Philadelphia, and he would just consider himself one of the, he just would fix things around the church, and he called me up, and he says, Pastor, I got good news for you, and I got bad news for you. <laughs> and I said, well, what's the bad news? He goes, well, no, I'll tell you the good news. You got 200 chairs, but they're all defective. And they were. They were chairs that had, somehow they had a support piece missing and you'd sit on them and they would all collapse. So somebody bummed me off 200 chairs that were no good. But he says, but I think I can fix them. And he engineered a little steel rod with some friends of his and they went through and took apart 200 chairs and fixed them all back together. But the amazing thing was when they finished the first chair, they gathered around it. Bill had been... Um, rest, he, he had come to the Lord from a very difficult life and a very bad background. And he was just so grateful to God. And he would pray on that little chair and he would say, Lord, I pray that you would bring somebody who needs godly, God as bad as me to come sit in this chair and bless them. And they did that for all 200 chairs. 
And then he drove them out here with his friends. And then we set them out and we went through and we did the exact same thing. And we prayed over every one of those chairs. And when the day came, the place was packed full of people. And we had nothing to offer. I mean, I didn't even preach very good. But God, <laughs> I didn't have anything. I mean, what was I going to say? I was 29 years old. <laughs> but, but God's presence was so powerful. And God did bring people who were just lost and needed him. And we, we had this habit of praying for all those chairs. And we did that for years. And I'm reading this stuff about Daniel. I'm going, what happened? Where did that go? And so back in the summer, when, we, when this, and back in September, I would, Thursday is our last day of, of the week for us and the staff. Friday's off, we're back here Saturday, work through the rest of the week. So the last thing we did is we all came into this room, and I told them this story. I says, we're going to pray over all these chairs. And we've been doing that for the past four or five weeks. Is it any surprise that in the last three or four weeks, there's been over, over 100 people baptized? that we didn't even plan, we just, it's not what, see, see, there's something about being dependent on God to do what he does in people's hearts. It's not about, and I just want to declare that we can never lose our dependence on God. You're, well, you're welcome to join us any Thursday afternoon about 4 o'clock. You'll find us in here. And not just praying over these chairs. We bring a bunch of little chairs in for the little kids, and we pray on those. We bring some chairs from the high school. Because we're not just praying for chairs, we're praying for you. You got prayed for. I don't know what's going on in your life, but the chair, you're, you, you were prayed for before you even walked in here tonight. God knows what's going on in your life, and he's going to help you, and he's going to get you through whatever you're going through. He's already forgiven you if you'll turn to him. He's already at work in your life. And we can never lose that dependence. Um, let me give you another one. Not only when we're self-sufficient, and, and less God dependence, is that a pathway towards insanity? But we know that we're headed towards insanity. When, when look, look what happened, verse 25 of this chapter, okay? Because Daniel declares this. He says, you'll be driven away from people. You'll live with the white animals. You'll eat grass like cattle. You'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. You're, you'll go insane for seven years. Seven years will pass by. Look at this, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone that he wishes. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, why are you taking credit for all your accomplishments? Nebuchadnezzar, why are you thinking that you're so great that you made this all happen? You're admiring all the work of your hand. And people do this. They look at their companies. Look at the company I built. Look at the church I planted. Look at, um, you know, the look at the home that I have. And look at the car I drive. Or look at whatever it is that we have. And we, you know, God doesn't mind us being successful. He just wants us to acknowledge that he's the reason. Now, he's the reason that made us successful. It's not just that we made it happen because that's insane. And our thinking is off. And we're headed towards insanity. Number two, when we give ourselves the credit... And instead of thanking God. And this is one of the prophetic warnings for right now because we live in a very ungrateful time. And I think God is urging us to thank him for everything. Why? Because it's the will of God. This is the will of God concerning you, that we give thanks in everything. 
So when it's raining, you know, give them thanks for the rain because stuff's going to grow. And when it's sunny, thank them for the beautiful day. And when it's snowing, you get to go ski. But, you know, thank God for, find something to be thankful for in everything. Because even if it's a trial, even if it's terrible, God, I know that you're working something out inside of me. You're doing something for my good. I consider it joy that you're building my character. I want you to think about how everything that you have comes from God, how he's protected you, maybe even times that you didn't know. And he's blessed you and he's provided for you. And even though you've worked hard, I mean, you didn't have any control over where you were born and the opportunities you had and the family that you had and, and the education and even your citizenship. And, you know, because people in Haiti work hard, but they don't have what you have. I mean, God just blessed you. And don't feel guilty about that. Just feel grateful. God, thank you for the opportunity of my life, and I don't want to waste it. Even the breath that we're breathing comes from God. I love this verse in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you're so great as though you've accomplished something on your own? Paul just gets to the point, doesn't he? Like, who do you think you are? I mean, God gave it to you. I mean, even when you give, when you tithe and you think, well, I'm giving God, I'm blessing the church. No, don't think that way. You should be like, God, I thank you that you've given me everything. I'm just bringing back to you some of what you've already given me. Like, I'm just the steward. You own it all. Not just the 10%. You own everything. Like, you, you have it all. And I'm just grateful you gave me the ability and you've blessed me enough to bless you back. That's how we should be thinking. We, we, we have that attitude and he'll prosper us and we'll be sane. Here's the third insanity. It's found in verse 26. Daniel says, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you. Here's the part. When you acknowledge that heaven rules. So the third insanity is when we think that we know best instead of acknowledging that heaven rules. When we think that we know best Instead of acknowledging that heaven rules. Nebuchadnezzar, you, you think you're running the show? You think you're calling the shots? No, no. There is a God in heaven that is orchestrating the affairs of men. It is he who's put you in power. And he's the one who's running. See, I think you forget this. I think you get mad at the president or at Congress or at all these people as if God is not. I'm sorry. I don't want to disturb you. As if God is not. Sovereign over the affairs of what's going on. But, but see, here's the real issue. There's an arrogance when we think that we know more than God. It's, it's in our culture today. Our culture says this, like, well, you know, I know what the Bible says, but, you know, no. I know what it says, but, you know, that's not for today. Or, no, we're not going to follow ancient rules. Or, I know what it says, but, and we think that we know more than God. And um, the passage, that, it's, it's a warning for America. Because, because, friends, God has blessed this nation, and the nation's influence has spanned the globe, and it's prosperous, and has done many great things. But unless America comes back and realizes that there is a God in heaven that is sovereign over the affairs of men, and that he is to be honored, and he's to be thanked, and we, he's to be obeyed, and, and worshipped, and followed, we're going to be on a pathway towards insanity. And, and here, here's the thing about this. Sooner or later, you know, the goal is, is that people would call on God. It would get difficult enough, and people would say, God, we can't take it anymore. 
and things are going to lead back towards peace. How do you know that? Well, because of 2 Chronicles 7.14. Look at this. If my people who are called by my name, he's talking about the church people, by the way. If my people, not the world, not those crazy people that are doing all the bad stuff. I'm talking about just us. If we would, if we would, who are called by his name, would humble ourselves and pray and seek my face, he says, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. The stump will grow again, and I'll heal their land. That's directed at, at me. <laughs> it's directed at you, the people who are called by God's name. And here's the thing. Let's stop, let's stop blaming, like, how bad the culture is. You know, unbelievers act like unbelievers. I don't know why that surprises us, but they do. They just, unbelievers act like people who don't know. And, and I'm not to judge them. God's going to judge people, you know. But the point is, um, don't blame Congress or blame the president and write all these rants, um, Republicans or the Democrats, they're the group. Listen, it just starts with me. It starts with you. Because, because you know what sin is? Sin's not like your favorite pet sin that you ran about. You know what sin is at its heart? Sin is just, well, I know, I know what you said, but I feel that. That's all sin is. At the very beginning, the very first sin was two people who said, yeah, God, I know what you said, but we're going to do this. And all sin has this little rebellious note to it, which I know what you said, but I, I feel, and this is what I'm going to do. And there's so much of that in me, so much of that in you, that we ought to just try to be very careful before we point fingers at everybody else and say, God, there's a lot in me that says, a lot of me that says, uh, you know, I know what you say, but. So here's the good news in all of this. Think about how this is so prophetic. Who does King Nebuchadnezzar represent, okay, in this story? King Nebuchadnezzar represents the crazy, insane culture that's going crazy. But Daniel represents the righteous remnant. God preserved Daniel through all of this craziness for 90 years. Nebuchadnezzar is only one of four kings that he'll serve, three different kingdoms, nation overthrowing nation. It's all crazy, but Daniel is emerging and walking under the hand of God the whole time. So do you want to be blessed like that? Do you want to have God's hand on your life? Even though the culture is crazy, you want to walk in a little, in a, in a, under the hand of God, like under his blessing, like no matter what happens, no matter how crazy it gets, you want to be part of the righteous remnant. Look what this verse says in Isaiah 66. I will bless those, like I'll put you under my hand, I'll bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. Like that means I just have a great respect for the word of God. I, I don't understand it, but I'm going to do what it says. I may not get it all, but I'm going to obey what it says. I'm going to do what it says. I don't, and you, you know, I don't have to understand it all. If I'm God dependent, then okay, I'll do it. I mean, my whole life I've thought this way. Okay, but not my way anymore, your way. My whole life I've been living like it's for me. Okay, not anymore. God, I'll live for you. God never asks you to understand his word, and you never will up front. Because when you live by faith, you don't understand. But later on, Jesus said, you don't understand now, but you look back, you'll understand later. It's always in the rearview mirror that God makes sense, friends. He doesn't usually make sense when he's directing us forward because he's calling us to walk by faith, which means I can't see it all. Well, Daniel chapter 4, verse 27, Daniel has given the message now to Nebuchadnezzar, and he has this heart, and he says this. 
Your majesty, verse 27, be pleased to accept my advice. And he's begging him, renounce your sins by doing what's right. I mean, turn from your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be yet that your prosperity will continue. That's, that's his heart. He's, he's saying, it doesn't have to be this way. Well, Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen to God. In fact, the story goes on in verse 28. Um, this is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. 29, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people. You'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven years will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone. See, see, you didn't get this. I gave this to you. I blessed you. I prospered you. Verse 33, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people. <laughs> Look at this. He ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven. His hair grew like feathers of an eagle. His nails were like the claws of a bird. I mean, he went literally insane. That still happens today. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 1. Let me show you a couple of verses when he described it about like, this makes a little more sense. Get it out of the Nebuchadnezzar days. Look at this. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks. So their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Now the purpose of prophecy is to warn us and to encourage us. And to help us figure out what to do so that we don't have to go insane and we don't have to uh, be deranged in our thinking. Because uh, not acknowledging God leads to insanity. But here's the hope-filled part of the passage. Verse 34. You know, at the end of that time, this is Nebuchadnezzar now dictating through Daniel. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. I mean, in a moment, the light came on. In a moment, immediately, he just found himself in his right, what? I need a manicure. This is, what, with the feathers? I don't, and he immediately just, just complete awareness. And when did that happen? His sanity was restored you know, the minute, you thought, somebody thought that was really funny. <laughs> All right. Well, that was good. I'm glad. I'll use that tomorrow. <laughs> what, what in the world happened to him? Well, he turned his, like when the time was done, God said, let the stump be held with this band of iron, like only so far. I'll only let it deteriorate for so long. And God says, okay, your sanity's back. See, a broken and a contrite heart, God says, I will never despise. The moment you turn to him in humility, when I lifted my eyes towards heaven, the moment you just say, God, I need you. I mean, you're one prayer away from some sanity in your life. He'll forgive you because he's a good God. And he was good even to Nebuchadnezzar. He says this. This is amazing. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar's response. Then I praise the Most High. 
I honored and I glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Like, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. Nobody can say that. And at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor, my splendor was returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Look at how God brought him back. My advisors and my nobles, they sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. That's so good. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, look what he says here. This is important. Praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Okay, so write this down. Three things that he praises. This is the last application. How to get your sanity restored. Number one, worship the king of heaven. Worship God. Praise God. Acknowledge him. Thank him every chance you get. The most uh, healthy thing you could ever do for your life is to be praising and thanking God. And don't say, well, that's not really my style. And don't say, you know, when, when, when the scripture says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. When the scripture says, clap your hands, your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. When the scripture says, lift up your voice, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I mean, all these things God is saying and we're going with our little, yeah, but that's not really me. See, there's a subtle little arrogance in that to say, well, I know what God says, but this is how I feel. I mean, if, this, if he said this, if he says, uh, lift up your voice in the sanctuary and praise the Lord, then let us praise the Lord. Let's thank him and let's clap and give him praise because he's worthy of it. And, you know, when you thank God, you know, you come in here with the burdens of the week. If you'll just thank God and start praising him and let the words on the screen inspire you, and then you say, yes, God, that's true, and I thank you. Your sanity will return. Yes, sir. Number two, acknowledge that everything that God does is right, and his ways are just. That means, God, I just declare and acknowledge that what you say is true. Your way is right. I don't have to understand everything. When you get to the place where you just go, God, your word is what's true. I'm just uninformed right now. There is a little bit of an arrogant attitude to say, I have to understand before I believe. Like, <laughs> like it has to make sense to me before I can believe. That's kind of like, like I've, I've, who, who's, who is elevated in the place of God at that point? It has to make sense to me instead of, God, I don't understand it, but if you say it, it's true. You'll, make, you'll help me understand it later. And then the last one, walk in humility. My friend David Craner, he posted this on Facebook yesterday, and I thought it was so good. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Listen to this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, like, you know, I'm a worm and all of that. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Just, it's not all about me. It's not just about my you know, my life, and everything doesn't have to go through the filter of how does this affect me and what I feel about it. If we just walk in humility, putting others before ourselves, God will bless us. James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself. Because 
this story tells us that all of us, we will be humbled one way or the other. And it's always easier if we humble ourselves before God, lest he have to do it for us. So I've been convicted by Daniel. I hope you have been too. And if you say, Darren, there's craziness going on in my life. There's just turmoil in my soul. There's just, there's just a need for God to help me. If any of this has been speaking to you tonight, I want to lead us in a prayer, but it's not really a prayer I'm going to just make up. I want to just let Scripture be the prayer for us. And I want to turn your attention and do one of those prayers like with our eyes open. And we just look at this Scripture and we pray this because this is what God is saying to you. If you want your sanity to be restored, you want to depart from the path of crazy, look at this. Let's, look, it's Isaiah 55. Look what God says. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Like before you, your mind goes deranged and you don't seek him anymore. Seek him while you got the time. Call on him now while he's near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to God so that he'll have mercy on them, not condemnation. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond what you could imagine. You're not going to even understand it all. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Let's just bow our heads. Let's close your eyes for just a moment. We'll just humble ourselves. All of us could just say, God, I need your forgiveness. God, I can't even see the pride in me. We're just one heartfelt prayer away from sanity here tonight. So let's, let's pray to him, because he's only going to let you go so far. Maybe tonight is the night where you come back and you say, Lord, I need to come back to you. I need to come back to you. I don't know if that's you tonight. God brought you here for a reason. If that's you, without anybody looking around, I just, just say, yep, that's me. I, I need to come back to God tonight or I'm coming to him. Just raise a hand. I just want to see it. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. Yes, yes. I see you right there by the post. Yep, yep, right here in the front. Anybody else? Yes, I'm over here on the sides. Center back. Yes. See, God sees you. God sees you. If you'll just say, God, I humble myself before you. I just renounce pride. I, I renounce it. You are God. I am not. You call the shots. You direct me. Forgive me for my sin. Um, you take charge. And Lord, I don't want to put myself, my thinking above yours. I'll do whatever you say. Put me under your hand, Lord. Lead me and guide me. I want to be blessed by you. Thank you for everything that you've given me. I praise you for all that you've provided. Thank you for even the difficulties in my life right now. I know they brought me to this point. And I know you're working in my life. And you just say, God, that's my prayer. That's me. Yes, God, that's me. Oh, God, I pray that you'll use us together. What if we all said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we'll follow you. I don't have to understand it all, but we're going to say yes to your word. Whether we, whether I thought one way my whole life or not, I'm ready to trust you and believe you. I pray, Lord, that you'd use us to be your hands and feet in this crazy world. Let this be a sanctuary of sanity. May people come in here and have those moments of clarity and find their God and Savior. Restore, heal, heal, Lord, the lives of people in this room tonight. I pray 
In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Can we just thank him and pray?